Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you're listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors covering our great country, Australia. And there's not too many more excited this morning than Aaron Habgood given Victoria's uh, relaxation of regional Victoria and the COVID regulations. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. Yes, I... uh First of all, feel very sorry for anyone that is in lockdown around the whole country, including my metro my metro friends here in Melbourne. But regional is out, and I'm gonna well and truly make the most of it because the sun has been shining during the week. Today looks like another beautiful day, uh, and things are really starting to heat up uh, in in my waters, I should say, around Victoria. So uh, exciting! Look into the snapper season. We've also got, uh, which is only a few months away few other species we're going to talk about later really starting to fire up. But you did mention travelling around or well, talking about our great country, Australia. And how's the uh, how's a little bit of news that we've seen during the, week, uh, the, during the week that blew your mind and my mind away with a 63-year-old gentleman travelling around, travelling around Australia on a jet ski, Patrick? Yeah, quite special. Adelaide's Lindsay Warner, 63. He's a real estate agent of 30 years. He's a qualified pilot. And he's just spent the last 18 months travelling around Australia. He took off from Exmouth, Western Australia, the state that I'm currently recording from, Redmond, and pulled into the same boat ramp 18 months later. Uh, The journey was supposed to be um, completed, Redmond, in one hit, but given border closures and coronavirus uh, restrictions that have affected us all is he was interrupted twice throughout the uh the journey um but he obviously made it as far as he could he, he completed it in a 2017 kawasaki jet ski which has like out of the factory 78 liters fuel capacity he needed to to significantly increase that 
he upped it to just under 300 litres um, and had basically what the um, the surfers will use with really big swell, that their, their towing skis. And then he, he strapped a whole lot of fuel tanks to the back of it. Quite an extraordinary journey, Redmond. He did, on average, 250 kilometres a, a kilometer a day on a jet ski. Now, to put it into perspective, <laughs> I'm travelling out to these uh, Barrel Bluefin Tuna at Apollo Bay, roughly 80 kilometres, say. So, say 160 overall in a boat. And now, I know that he'd be trying to hug the coast and whatnot, but let's be honest, a jet ski isn't the comfiest thing to sit on all day. His ass must have been that sore for half that trip <laughs> the world because that would be an effort and a half uh literally he doubled that some days we are uh, when on the, i'm tipping the calm when he had offshore winds and some calm waters he would have really punched it to, to grab a few kilometer, kilometers under his belt but some days were even shorter than that due to weather and whatnot he had to climb up in, in northern australia he had to climb up banks and whatnot to try and escape crocodiles even paid up to six dollars a litre in fuel at some time. So six times uh, 300 is a lot of dollars. So, well, oh, it's a tremendous effort. <laughs> that raise uh, money for um, mental health too, Patrick, which is uh, awesome to see. It is. He told Watercraft Zone uh, after the journey was over that he was looking forward to a rest. And I quote, I'm relieved it's over. Uh, there's a lot of planning that goes into something like this. Um, that few would have an appreciation for, especially without a support crew to follow you all the way. That part is quite extraordinary, that he's done this trip without a supporting boat along the way. So it it takes a, a fair amount of knackers, I, I, I dare say, to actually go through with it when you don't have uh, a team backing up behind you. He self-funded it mostly with with family helping out. So it's quite an, an extraordinary thing to do, Redmond. Uh, and as you said, raising awareness for men's health, which is certainly important. Uh, let's talk Swamp Yabbies, um, Australia's newest freshwater crayfish named Redmond. Yeah, I just want to, before you before we get into it, I just, how often do you hear these days of a new species? Like, it's not an everyday thing, is it? There's a, a lot of things have been identified. I know there's a lot of things you don't know out there and, the ocean's probably one of the biggest wonders in the world of what's actually living in our waterways. But to actually have a species that here only a few hours away or a bit more than a few hours away up on the Murray River for a new species, which you just mentioned, the swamp yabby, which is a new species of yabby, yabby living in the Murray River catchment. But don't go and grab your, uh, your drop net or any net to catch one of these because it's not as simple as that the swamp yabby is a ground dwelling species living in burrows in places that regularly flood with water for example drainage lines roadside drains and whatnot so i'm not sure i know the murray the murray the murray cray is a beautiful eating crayfish people tens of thousands of people go chase the murray cray uh during its catch season each time of the year but i'm just thinking what do you, how do you reckon this would taste living in drainage and whatnot, Patrick? I'm tipping it probably wouldn't be a traditional yabby taste. No, and I'm not a massive fan of yabbies uh, generally anyway. Like freshwater crays, depending on the clarity of water, obviously they'll, they'll, they'll filter the, the water at stages and it can, they can taste pretty muddy. So I'm not a massive um, a massive fan of of freshwater crays, but each to their, their own there. 
Well, it's the first time in 80 years, uh, according to the Department of Environment, that a new yabby species has been found uh, in the Murray-Darling Basin. So can you think of anything off the top of your head quickly that's a new species that you can think of that just come out recently? I, I can't. I can't think of one. I wish I actually Googled it and I couldn't think of anything relevant to what we had to talk about. No, I mean, we were speaking a few weeks ago when we were talking about, um, and I forget the exact species of fish um, that originates from Japan, it was caught off Queensland. So, I mean, most of us don't have a great idea when it's something slightly different, um, you know, when it comes to fish identification. So I can understand how new things are found. We just don't always put the time into really understanding know where different species are from and and we've spoken about this before most of the um, whether it's vic fisheries new south wales western australia have great apps around fish identification that anglers can access to to understand uh their catches what they've just caught um it has great information on on depths that they'll fish in so it's it's definitely worth something um to understand the fish you're actually catching there's an app for everything. I'm currently doing my, I've done my boarding lockdown. I've built a few garden beds, Patrick, a bit of Don Burke going on in the backyard here. And I'll tell you what, there's literally an app that you pull out. I forget the name of it. Uh, it's, it's on my phone. You can literally pull your phone out, take a photo of a plant, and it literally tells you everything you need to know about that plant. It tells you about when to plant it, uh, basically when to uh, actually start taking the fruit off it and whatnot. What, what isn't there an app, for, an app for? And speaking of apps, we do have the Real Adventures app where you can download any of our podcasts, our recipes, and Pat, I don't know if we've got a fish identifier on there, but I reckon I'll get the team onto that because it's bloody handy to have, especially when you're fishing in new waters. Like even when I head up to New South Wales and fish the reef up there, I come along a species that I haven't seen before, and it's always handy to flick it out and actually see what you're actually catching. Speaking of new waters, Redmond, and this is – uh, particularly relevant given rural Victoria is out of uh, restrictions, but it even applies um, for some metro areas depending on your 5 to 10K radius. But Vic Fisheries, uh, their stocking program over winter is in full, uh, full swing. And if you head to their, um, their website uh, or their Facebook page, their socials, uh, you'll find a whole range of different locations uh, that they're starting to stock and have stocked. So it's where your fishing licence fees goes to. But just off the top, Lake Eildon, 15,000 rainbow trout, 20,000 brown trout, uh, the Talbot Reservoir, 2,700 browns, uh, Lake Parambit, 1,200 tiger trout, uh, which are clearly a mix, Um Dean Reservoir, 1,000 rainbows, 500 browns. There's, there's so many different lake systems that uh, Vic Fisheries have stocked, which is great to um, take your family up and have a fish for. And for the guys that are living in Metro Melbourne, uh, Fisheries did a tremendous job uh, releasing rainbow trout into many different areas right through Metro. And a lot of people, not a, well, no, I'll go with a lot, more than a lot of people actually live uh, somewhere within their five kilometres range of one of these. Hopefully, hopefully it's you that I'm talking about. And I'm just going to name a few. Berwick Springs Estate, Casey Fields Lake, Caulfield Racecourse Lake, Don Lake, Emerald Lake, Ferntree Gully Quarry, Garfield Lake. I've got, and there's Packenham. Jump onto Tackle World Cranbourne, Cranbourne. They've got the post up exactly how many has been released in your area. And I know, I see this on social media, not from fisheries, not from tackle stores, actual 
friends that I have on social media that are actually getting amongst and catching some of these rainbow trout. Now, these are stonkers. They are as big as mm. up to pound, if not bigger at times. Like, there's some seriously big trout amongst these fish. So, for the guys who are in lockdown, they need to get out and wet a line for their couple of hours. Make sure you do head to one of the places I did mention and grab yourself a trout or two. A great one there also is Albert Park, which you wouldn't think is well-stocked, but incredibly well-stocked and obviously and easy to access. Probably the most common one I've seen on social media, Pat, when you've said that, so I probably should have mentioned that one. But uh, that there, there's a lot of kids getting amongst Albert Lake and catching, like you said before, plenty of rainbow trout. Let's take a look at what's biting around your part of the country, Redmond. Let's go to Tasmania first. And North Bruni, there's some really big calamari being caught, hoods up to 40 centimetres. The water's still pretty cold, only 12.5 degrees. Um, so you would imagine, Redmond, the squid will get better as the water warms up. Yeah, you spot on that 12.5 degrees. And there's not been a massive amount of squid, like fives to eights sort of coming in in a session. But once that tickles up a bit, that water temp, like you said, 12.5 degrees is cold. So once it gets up a bit higher, we should see that really, really start to fire up. Curries is fishing really well right now for brown and rainbow trout with fish uh, roughly around that six-pound mark, and they're biting pretty consistently as well. Fishing in the Craigieburn Dam, well, there's been some really good reports of salmon and some nice brown trout being landed. Um, when cleaned away, the fish uh, were full of black beetles, Redmond, so that sort of gives you a bit of an idea on what they're feeding on and how to attack fishing for them. Is there a black beetle in the fly sort of format there, Patrick? Without a doubt, absolutely, yep. Yep. So, so uh, the, the the simplest thing to do, um, you can get on your fish forums, which there's um, there's certainly a Tassie uh, trout fish forum, but you can also go to your local tackle stores depending on where you're fishing, which I think, you know, that's your number one port of call because they're locals, they know the area, um, and they'll have people coming in giving different reports at different stages where they can pass on that information that's relevant to you. Spot on. Going to head over to your neck of the woods where your postcode now exists, Patrick. North Mole near Frio has fished really well this week for snapper. Uh, Land-based reports early morning. Early morning is the go-to. Get out there nice and early before sunrise. Sunset's been okay, but sunrise for some reason, I'm going to go off the back of a moon. So we're coming off that moon now. And that's the reason I believe the week gets better. Fishing's pretty simple. You follow the same patterns and it tends to catch you more fish. So that's my excuse for it, but fish three to eight kilo. You can use whatever bait you want, but for me, stays on the best, doesn't get picked, a nice calamari ring, which is always working well on a snapper bite. The Ammo Jetty is one of Perth's most loves fishing destinations as well, Pat. I'm sure, I think you might even sneak down there at some point. And uh, it's fishing really well right now with salmon and squid and herring. Uh, they're all coming up over the side each day. So great place to take the kids if you are in WA right now. Let's head to South Australia. Uh, Botten and Fishing Charters out of Marion Bay have had a great week in some pretty um, rough weather, uh, but there's been plenty of King George whiting to nearly 60 centimetres in length, which is astonishing for anyone other than South Australians who will say, yeah, that's a, that's a standard Saturday afternoon. Mm. Um, fishing the sand flats around York Peninsula, the yellowfin whiting uh, have been great to chase with good success um, with the seaweed worms working a treat as a bait of choice. Now, our good mates uh, at SA Angler, they also love using poppers on the yellowfin whiting, but of late, bait has been the preferred choice. 
Wallaroo is still running hot for King George Whiting with bag limit captures a regular occurrence and they've sort of averaged that 38 to 45 centimetre range, but they've been very, very consistent. With a fair few restrictions right around New South Wales at the minute, we're not getting huge reports, but for the lucky guys that are in distance of their fishing location, Bermagui, we love Burmy Pat, we always talk about it. Snapper fishing out of there has been pretty good for the guys that can get out. Uh, fish around that 40 to 45 centimetre mark, and lots of them. But if you do push through them and you run your bigger baits or even your live baits, you're going to get fish up to 70, 80 centimetres at times as well. So, And they have been coming in amongst those small fish. So work hard, but you're going to catch fish. And then fishing George's River, which is just south of Sydney. A few lucky anglers that live local down there have been catching plenty of brim and blackfish. And blackfish pull like no tomorrow. They pull really hard, so they're great fun in the like year. And squirtworms. Squirtworms, blackfish, love them. And that has been the bait of choice. Heading to Queensland, our great mate Dennis Daly from Fishing Mission, who we've fished with plenty of times, Redmond, whenever we've had, Not enough uh, headed up. Headed up north. Uh, he's having a cracking time at the moment. Um, they've been hitting Kobe and mackerel, coral trout, which is one of um, any charter's favourites, I suppose. Um, so they're certainly worthwhile hitting up if you're in the region, particularly if you're sh- fishing around that Mission Beach region. Um, offshore Tweed, Redmond, there's been some great snapper as well coming out. We fish up to four kilo. When I was writing this report, the only thing that comes to my head here is the local legend, William Powerfish, which we need to get on the show. I haven't even sent him the message yet, so I'm going to have to do it, which he probably won't reply back to me, but I'm going to try. So fishing, uh, I've actually he's actually been getting some Mulloway pat off the beach and in his, on his boat and his jet ski, to be honest with you. And not just him, many other anglers over the one metre mark, which is, that's the magic mark for your Jewfish. And like you said, the snapper before, fish to four kilo, micro jigs working well, Baits are used, working well, pilchards with a bit of squid. So fishing's red hot out of the tweet at the moment. Got a massive show of real adventures coming your way this morning. Make sure you hit us up on our socials at Real Adventures Show. There's plenty more to come after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for the Social Club. We take your questions from social media each and every week. We're giving away a real brand gear, a fishing top and a fishing hat. So send in your questions to our Social Club or better yet, download our Real Adventures app to join in the conversation. It's free to download from wherever you download your apps. First question, Redmond, is from Liam. Hey, lads, love the show gearing up for the snapper season and would love to know when you officially say the snapper season is here in Port Phillip Bay, Victoria. So when's it officially going to open, Redmond? You spoke off the start Mm. of the show that you think it's a few months away. What are you looking for to say that the snapper are here? Is it temperature? Um, What are your your reference points? It depends. Like snapper season, it's a – The traditional snapper season, when it's firing, people like to run off grand final day. Grand final is a day where people go, right, grand final day is here, let's have a crack. And another one is the Melbourne Cup. Melbourne Cup's another great one that people like to run off when they start to chase fish. Now, temperature has a massive role to play. And in past seasons, we've had seasons that slow really start. uh, Slow really start. We'll we'll put that the other way. That start really slow, I should say, Patrick. It starts really slow, but then all of a sudden, they hit their peak quite quickly, and then it starts to drop off, and the water gets too hot, and the season starts to 
to sort of get harder to catch them. You need to push deeper. So the official start, if you were to name it on a month, I'm going to go sort of that mid-November is the official bang. Not the start of it is when it's going red hot. That's when it's going nuts. When I'd like to start chasing them is around that October period. That October is when we start to see that water temperature start to climb and we're going to have warm days and whatnot. And the days after when we get that southwest wind is when you'll see me out looking for a snapper, whether it's Clifton Springs, offshore, or into uh, uh, the bay in itself. Because you'll get snapper now. You won't get them in big numbers, but you'll get snapper all year round. We're talking about really consistent captures, aren't we? Yeah, end of October into mid-November, that period there, depending what our water temperature does. Now, you've got to follow water temp pretty closely. Now, we're going to get a run of fish, and they say they come from the South Australia and whatnot. Bowen Heads out, out offshore, I'm going to be doing a lot of hours out there in September, in the end of September, I should say, which is now onwards, and I'm going to be fishing out there because those fish are going to start to make their way here as that temp comes in. Now, they're coming in to the bay to spawn. That, they're coming in to do their thing with that right temperature 16 to 18 degrees is when they start to do their thing now more than 18 degrees but 16 is the magic number that everyone runs off the ocean won't quite hit that but we're going to have fish that stop out the front of barwon heads on the reefs and we're going to have captures out there before we're going to have them in the bay then the first lot of fish are going to spread out through the bay they, they literally spread right through port Phillip bay now they head into the clifton springs cryo bay area now, the reason that I get a, best, a better bite out of there than other parts of the bay is because Clifton Springs into Cryo Bay is a shallower part of the bay. It's only like, oh, it's a lot less than 10 metres. The channel's about 10 to 12, and the rest of it's shallow. It's between, obviously, 0 and 10. So it, it, it heats up quite quick in there. So that hot water starts to get hot. You might have 16.5 degrees there, but out off Carrum, for instance, it's still only 13 or 14. So... That Clifton Springs area is going to be that first area that I start to look. Then it pushes out to Werribee, and then it goes to Altona, and then so on, so on, right around the whole top side of that bay. And then when it gets hot, right up to that 18 to 20 degrees, that's when I fish that deeper water out of St. Leonard's again, in that fishing those 20s, and fishing into that uh, Mount Martha, more deep Mornington sort of area after Christmas when the water is hot. So if you think about it, it's not long that we have a red-hot snapper season, but they will then fire up again when it does the other way. So when the water starts to fall back the other way, Pat, people think snapper season's officially over. They get their fix for two months of the year, three months of the year. But then that sort of March, April, there's another fantastic bite when that water starts to go that other way again. So the official season, I'm going to call it the bite time, is November. That's the best month when I like to say it's open. You've got October when it starts to happen. And then, obviously, if you do the right things like I've just described then, you're going to have a great time catching fish throughout the next six months once uh, once once they the fish arrive and that water temp corrects itself and gets up to 16 degrees. This next question links into this or the, the snapper quite, quite well. Uh, Ryan, hey, boys, I'm currently in lockdown in Melbourne and I'm about to do an online order to keep myself out for the snapper season. The one different thing read talks about a lot is braid for snapper in Port Phillip Bay. Uh, I can tell how passionate he is with it when he talks about it. Why do you run braid as opposed to mono? Can you go through the reasons? Because I've heard con- I've heard conflicting advice for both. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a braid person. Uh, braid has minimal to no stretch. So I, I don't like the stretch that mono has. 
Now, there is a purpose. So when you're talking when you're talking about stretch, you've got the the rod in the water, your bait's 15 metres under the surface or, or however deep it is, and when you get that fish um, pulling on the bait that's attached to the hook, the stretch you're talking about, you'll get direct feedback straight to your rod reel and fingers to know that there's a fish on there versus mono, which will have a stretch over that 15 metres and you won't get as good a feedback as to a fish being on the end of your line. That's for, for you know explaining it in layman's terms. Spot on. And the easiest way to explain it is, say you're fishing uh, 20 metres of water out of Mornington, you cast your pilly out 20 metres behind the boat, it then needs to fall on an angle 20 metres deep. So you're looking at 35, 40 metres, that pilly is going to be away from you, from where your rod's sitting in the snapper racks in the rod holder. So you've got 40 metres. Mono stretches between, say, we'll say around that 20% mono stretches. So it's stretching a hell of a lot, up to nearly five metres, before you actually have a direct movement at the tip of your rod. Now, I like the hookup rate much, much, much better on braid than I do mono. The amount of – I see on social media all the time, uh, had 12 runs today, landed six, dropped six. With braid, that is halved, like even possibly more. I find my hookup rate and my landing rate is so much more successful than when I used to use mono. It is changed dramatically. Now, people will say, oh, but it tangles. It does this. It does that. I, I agree with you. When it does tangle, it is a prick to get out. But if you do the right things, when I say I'll, I'll pause there deliberately, you do the right things, you won't have tangles. Rig your rods up properly. Have I run three weighted uh, three weighted baits, and in Port Phillip Bay, we fish for snapper virtually unweighted. We have a small P-sinker that runs to the bait, and that can be a size zero, size one, size two in the deeper water. Now, my cast, my the ones that don't have that sinker, so the three that are completely unweighted, and I'm talking about a six-rod spread, I cast the three unweighted ones out first, let them go with the tide slightly, and then I filter my next three sinker-weighted ones because they're going to hold the bottom better. And if you span them out, like literally span them out at the back of your boat, cast them, cast that first one to the left, cast the next one slightly to the right, and spread them out nicely, you just don't tangle. The key to this don't have multiple people cast rods out and bring rods in because that's when it gets nasty. Three of us will fish in. I'll have, say I'm fishing with you, Pat, and your old man. I'll say, Patty, you put the you put the, uh, put the baits on for me and I'll flick the baits out. So you've got your job. I've got mine. It works. But you pass me a rod, I flick it out, it sinks down, and that's how I like to set my rods. And this is where you often talk about the snapper rack being so important, and that's as much as anything, spacing those rods out in the right way, especially when you're fishing with more than a few rods and more than a few uh, people on the boat, that there isn't the tangles when you've got four-plus people fishing and lines running everywhere. Yeah, and we, we did a – I think we had a question regarding the three-way rod holders maybe two or three weeks ago, Pat. Uh, we had basically asking, are the three-ways good? So the three-way rod holders are just a standard you get from any tack store. And I spoke about they are great if you don't have any other option, but if you can afford it, Get snapper racks because it allows you to get five to six rods on one side of the boat and they lay them out around your hull. So if the tide's slightly pulling one way to your port or starboard, pulling either side of the boat, you can actually favour that side of the boat without having to bridle up, for instance. Bridling up is another great way. 
We'll, we'll go into it a little bit more next week, Pat. We'll go. I'll, I'll go into. Make sure you tune in next week's show. I'm going to go into bridling. That's going to be my tip next week, discussing the bridle. So I won't talk about it now because we're running out of time. But bridling up is crucial in Port Phillip Bay to allow you to have uh, more rods out and sit straighter and also stop you from swinging. So we'll talk that. But braid is a must for me. If you haven't given it a go, change a couple of rods, give it a go. You'll notice the hookup rate. Not only that, the fight is tremendous because, once again, no stretch when the fish kicks its tail and you've got a direct pull on the end of your rod. So braid for me is a no-brainer. And uh, give it a go, Ryan, and let me know what you think. Good on you, Ryan. You are our real brand winner for the week. Make sure you send us a direct message with your size and we'll shoot out the gear as quick as we can. That wraps up the social club. We take your questions from social media. Make sure you send them in to our Real Adventures socials or better yet, download our Real Adventures app. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. It's time for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. Our special guest this morning is Lockie Nichols, who works out of Seawolf Charters. Good morning, Lockie. How you going? We're going well. Thanks for joining us this morning. Now, tell us about your fishing history. You've obviously been chartering for a while now. You operate out of Tasmania. Give us the name, the location, uh, and what you like to target. Yeah, I grew up fishing at Eaglehawk Net. It's uh, yeah, a special spot for me. Um, mostly the, the tuna are the, the big thing down there, and even swordfish these days have sort of come about in the last uh, five to six years. They're pretty popular fish now. Um, I have been doing charters now for four years, which has uh, been a pretty wild ride, but I've yeah, been loving every minute of it so far. One of the biggest challenges clearly for the fishing industry has been COVID and it's been a challenge for all industries, uh, primarily built off the back of tourism, any good charter company. Um, that's just the way it is. That's obviously had a big impact uh, on your business. Certainly has, yeah. At the moment, we're, we're not even running uh, just due to, yeah, no customers at the moment, but uh, hopefully things will improve soon and we can start again. One of the things that we're all looking to nationally has been the the 70 to 80 percent um, vaccination rates, which then we're all hoping will open up interstate travel. Now, for all Australians, essentially, it's not going to be uh, travel globally to your favourite fishing destination or your bucket list item. But we are very lucky in Australia with what is on offer, whether it be game fishing or 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 inland fishing, whether it be Victoria or right around the country. Tassie has really emerged over the last few years of one of the the prime uh, sport fishing destinations. And as you said, Eagle Hawk Neck, with the ability now, not only tuna, but you mentioned swordfish, it's a really exciting fishery to venture to, isn't it? Certainly is, yeah. There's still a lot, a lot more that we haven't really discovered yet. There's so much new area, new grounds to get to with bigger boats and that sort of thing. We're, yeah, it's awesome. Lockie, the Nichols last name is very famous, especially in that Eagle Hawk neck area. Take us through how you actually got into the charter scene. Now, uh, for those, we one of the regular guests on our show is Paul Worsting from iFish, and I'm tipping anyone that watches the show would have seen you and your old man on the show a few times. Uh, take us through how your old man started into, into yourself as well. Yeah, well, the old boy started uh, 22 years ago now running charters. Um, 
he started off just doing a few here and there, chasing the uh, chasing the odd tuna, a lot of bottom fishing for uh, striped trumpeter and jackass moong and those sorts. And from there, he's uh, yeah um, gone on to target a lot of the bigger tuna, like the, the the barrels, which are the eighty kilo plus bluefin tuna we get down here. Um, then I come along into the picture and fish with him as a deckhand for oh, ever since I was about seven years old. And um, yeah, here we are now, both well, both running charter businesses and uh, yeah, getting out there onto the swords and the big tuna and even makos and there's there's so much possibility out there at the moment. Aaron and I always talk about this, Lockie, when you're going to fish a new destination, one of the things that you should first do, uh, whether you're going to be there for you know a couple of days or if you're going to fish it for a couple of weeks, is go out with an expert, ask the questions around what's the best um, way to attack the fish or the best time to fish. Uh, clearly, that, clearly, that's an important part of what you do, the, the, the service with providing great information for anglers to take on their their fishing trips whether it be with you or, or without you and in their own in their own boat what are the things that you you promote when you go out fishing when it comes to attacking tuna and the mistakes that people will often make well basically when we when we're doing a charter we're also there to you know for people to learn so we're we're just showing them you know what birds we're looking for um you know what tide patterns all of those kinds of things that um, yeah, like you say, the more you're there, the more time you spend doing it, the more you learn. So that's what we're really aiming to help with a lot of the time. Something that you're currently going through, and we spoke off air for a few minutes, and I'm going to get you to elaborate a little bit more on what you're actually looking for. One of the most frustrating but, I guess, fun, probably one of the most funnest experiences you can have is actually purchasing a new boat. And for you, it's a livelihood as such. So you've got to purchase a boat for your charter boats and whatnot. Now, Take us through the stressful, the fun, whatever it is about you currently have fished out of a seven plus meter, uh, uh, sorry, razor line, which I fished out of uh, a friend of mine, Cosy. I fished out of the exact same vessel for quite a period of time. Uh, fantastic boat, razor line, handled well, nice deck space, great charter boat, if you're asking me, in my opinion. Now, what are you going to be looking forward to now? You've got to, is it bigger? Is it uh, more fuel range? What are you actually looking for? Well, we're looking for something similar again, but I'd really like to go for the fiberglass just for that a little bit less banging in that short, sharp swell. Um, we're also looking for a uh, couple of new outboards, um, hoping for, yeah, a bit longer range, a little bit more grunt so we can get out there quicker and spend more time fishing. How many, how many days of the year, Lockie, will you focus on fishing for swordfish? It's one of the things that's taken the industry by storm over the last few years as Trailer boats have gotten bigger. We're able to get access to, to more or greater regions around the coast because you can trailer them in. You're not taking a 40-foot Riviera and then fishing offshore 500 metres in depth. How often are you fishing for them and how much research goes into catching what many consider to be um, the ultimate game fish? Yeah, well, basically, um, oh, well... The amount of hours I've spent chasing swords is unbelievable, but um, <laughs> pre-COVID, um, I was probably fishing 50 to 60 days a year, um, just spending a lot of time out there, dawn to dusk sort of thing. Um, now, not able to get out as much, but um, yeah, hopefully things will improve, like I say, and we'll get back out there again, but uh, 
things have come a long way, like I say, with sounders and uh, all of those sorts of things. We're looking for the bait. We're looking for the structure. So much goes into it. Then once you get out there and do a few trips, you, you sort of get the gist of things and, yeah, you laugh and then. Speaking of sounders, what do you what do you like to run? What do you recommend, particularly for those greater depths? Well, I run a TM260 transducer to a Simrad uh, Evo 3, which uh, works perfectly for me. I pick up swordfish all the way down to probably 600 metres and yeah, you can drop it right on their nose. Go on, mate. Give us what gives you the buzz. What is it? Is it the most big barrel bluefin when you've got your double hookup of 100-plus kilo fish or is it one of those big things with big swords on their faces? What gives you the buzz? The most exciting thing for me is when you hook up, when you're chasing swordfish, you just don't know what it is until you actually see it. So it could be a could be a massive tuna, it could be a shark, could be a swordfish. There's so many different possibilities of what it can be. And when you do see that sword break the surface, that's really the moment for me. Lockie, we really appreciate your time this morning on Real Adventures. We know you're in the hunt for a new boat at the moment, and obviously COVID has uh, provided its challenges for all uh, anglers around the country, but particularly for charter boat operators. So we're looking forward to you uh, getting back up and running. And hopefully, Redmond, the next time we're in Tassie, uh, we'll be fishing with Lockie out of Seawolf Charters. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks, boys. That was gearing up for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. It's time for Red's review, our product review of the week. And we're talking about stereo options for your boat. It's become a huge part of recreational fishing. Uh, it's always been in the commercial sector because you've got to provide your clients with something other than still noise if you're not catching fish. Uh, but we've seen huge advancements in the stereo options, whether it be built in. Uh, or portable options that we can all connect via Bluetooth to our phone. And Aaron's had a look through the market to find some good options uh, for recreational anglers out there. Redmond, what have you found? What do you like? And what do you recommend? Yeah, just quickly, I'm just going to go bang saying that I think installing a marine uh, stereo is important. And the key word there, Paddy, is marine. Uh, you just don't want to go throwing something that's not marine in the boat because it just won't last with the salt and whatnot. But some people will take out portable. Portable's great. If your stereo is playing up or whatnot, it's great to take one out. But the cons with that is they're not waterproof a lot of the time. Uh, they get they, No matter what, they're going to get salt in them. They're going to be basically ruined. And falling on the ground, getting banged around in the boat isn't great. And I know a lot of people, like a little Bose sound system, Pat, they're up to four or $500 at times. Yeah, so they are for expensive. Less, for, for less price, you can actually get one kitted out now. A basic uh, system, an RA55 uh, Fusion. Now, for me, I'm going to go with Fusion's probably the, I don't know, it's probably the most recognisable marine, I guess, uh, stereo product at the moment in in the in the market. And around that $290, you can put a basic system in. You can get them, like I said, for $290 at Anaconda. They've got a great deal at the moment. And it works really, really well. Now, this is, when I say basic, it's just stock standard, two speakers, and then the head unit in itself. It's not touchscreen, it's button push. Now, the reason I say that is because there's a Fusion Apollo R8, RA770, which is about $1,000, but that's a touchscreen with slightly better speakers. But for me, touchscreen is quite hard to use in a boat. Now, 
quite often I don't have the music on very loud when we're fishing because we're always having a chat and music's just in the background. When the music's cranking, is on the way back in, you've caught a barrel bluefin, you're having a nice cold Carlton draft on the way back in, having a bit of fun with the music. It's, it's great. It's really it, – that sets the mood when you're getting to weigh the fish. It's awesome. But trying to touch – fiddle around with touchscreens for me is a pain in the backside. And you and I both have had this problem with touchscreens in the actual GPS unit in itself. It, it, it's just hard. It, it is hard to use. So – Go a little bit cheaper. That's, like I said, not even $300. You can upgrade the speakers if you want for another maybe 100 bucks, and you're going to have a cranking sound system. Another couple of brands, you've got the JBL 175, around that $380 mark from BCF, and you also look up pretty much any marine, uh, any decent marine outlet's going to have numerous brands. But GME also, also do a great range. It's the GME GD 9620, and that's around that $250. So, I did, I did it on the cheaper side today, Pat, uh, because I was comparing it to a portable stereo rather than installing numerous items. So, like I said, about 300 bucks, you're going to have yourself a cranking system to have a Carlton draft with a barrel on the deck, Pat. Well, I reckon that's a great review, and I couldn't agree more with, with touchscreen versus the actual physical buttons that you can feel click under your finger, particularly when you've got dirt and grime and fish guts and all that sort of thing you don't necessarily always clean your hands redmond so important to keep the uh, the stereo and everything nice and neat and you don't always get that feel when you've got the touch screen so i couldn't agree more with you um bear in mind with all of these products you then have to account for the labor that, that is going to go into it so that's an expensive part um on its own with how much it'll cost for your marine electricians um to have it installed but it is good to have it installed by professionals where you know everything will be installed properly it's not going to trip your batteries um, and it's going to last a hell of a lot longer that is res review our product review for this morning you're listening to real adventures with patrick dangerfield and aaron hadgood welcome back to real adventures we're in the final leg at redmond it's time for red's tip it is and it's great to see uh during the week I've seen so many uh, social media posts and uh, from the marine industry, so different mechanical services that are available right around uh, the state. And i actually seen a, a few around the country too, which is asking boats to be serviced. Uh, and what they mean by this is a lot of the country has been in lockdown and whatnot, and boats have sat there doing stuff all. Now, if you're going out to buy an engine, I would rather buy an engine, for instance, like my one that has actually – it actually works. It actually does. Yes, it's done, say, 500 hours for just a rough number, but it's been working. It's been doing things. When an engine sits there, that's when corrosion and that's when things and problems start to happen. So it's great work from the marine advertising, uh, marine industry advertising servicing, not only to build some, I guess, uh, money back into the bank, but also to for safety purposes for those that are looking to get out on the water in the coming, uh, hopefully, not too far away, Pat, to be honest with you, in Victoria, month maybe, but right around the country. So go get your boat service if they've been sitting there doing stuff, or even if you run it on the muffs once or twice, it probably hasn't done much at all. Go get it serviced, get it booked in, and away you go, because I'm tipping in the next few weeks or months when we're back into it nice and we're going hard, you want the boat to be running smoothly. That's Red's tip. The flying gaff this week. I'm giving it to myself this week, Redmond. Now, I've got a Stabycraft uh, 1550, and when I first purchased it, I've got a Minn Kota 80-pound um, thrust, which requires two batteries. Now, when 
I set it up, the only place I could put these batteries was at the front of the boat. Now, given the weight of the batteries, this was an extra 50 to 60 kilos. And it, it, it made it impossible to use the Minn Kota because of the weight. It just didn't pick up um, the bow. And it would especially, mean it was... Especially in your off-season when you're not at your, your prime, you put a few on. <laughs> exactly. So it means the bow couldn't pick up and it really affected its performance. Now, I'm giving myself the gaff because I haven't kept abreast with the available technologies. And I was chatting to Sean Clancy during the week from BLA. Um, and by keeping ahead of technology, I would have I would have understood that there's actually now a 24-volt battery that weighs 12 kilos not the 50 to 60 kilos that I'm currently using or not using because it's sitting in the shed because it's it's just destroyed the performance of the 1550. So I was chatting to him around the 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 24 volt battery that's 12 kilos that would totally change the game in terms of the performance of my little stabby. You've obviously got the weight of the Minkota, the 80 pound thrust. I think for anyone Looking at a 1550, you definitely go the 55 pound because you just don't need that 80. But I've got the 80. And now with keeping ahead of technology, I can roll in with this 12 kilo lithium battery and have just as good a performance from the actual electric motor itself, but without the detrimental effects to the 1550. So keep ahead of technology, especially if you've bought something and purchased something for your boat that hasn't necessarily worked because there, there just might be a way uh, in order to facilitate that new tech with new things to market. This has been Real Adventures. We hope you've enjoyed the show. I need to finish this one today, Pat, because this has been Real Adventures. Regional's out. I'm going fishing. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi-finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.